Welcome to the Talks on Law MCLE podcast. Interviews with leading attorneys, professors, and judges on important and thought-provoking legal topics. And now, for the interview. Whether it's personal files like the photos in our phones or commercially valuable items like cryptocurrency, digital assets play an increasingly important role in our lives. Today we'll discuss some of the unique challenges they present when it comes to transferring them after our deaths. Hello and welcome to Talks on Law. I'm Joel Cohen. Today we're joined remotely by Naomi Khan, a professor at UVA Law School and an expert on trust and estates law. Naomi, welcome to Talks on Law. Thank you. Delighted to be here. Before we get into the the legal issues, let's get a general understanding. What do we mean when we're talking about digital assets? The term digital assets refers to all of our online files and all of our online accounts, things that we take for granted, ranging from our social media, Facebook, to our Amazon accounts, to any domain names that we might own to cryptocurrency that we might be fortunate enough to own. So the term digital assets is incredibly comprehensive. If you listen to iTunes, you're listening to digital assets. So an incredibly comprehensive term of anything that we use or that is stored online. You mentioned social media accounts. Is the asset the postings that you have on the account? Is it access to the account? Is it the password to the account? All of the above are things that we could define as digital assets. So it's it's your account. It's your Facebook account that is the digital asset. And within that account, you've got your password in order to be able to access that account. You've got your posts as well. So that's it's it's an incredibly large term. Not to to jump the gun, but do you own it? Is it all yours? Well, that's a complicated question, and you may not. Maybe we'll talk about that a little bit more when we get to terms of service. But I guess before we go there, maybe you can tee up this conversation a bit in terms of why do we care? Why is this so relevant in our modern lives, the concept of digital asset planning? This is so relevant to our modern lives, and so many of us have not thought about it. I think about one of the reminders of why this is so important to me is that my beloved uncle died five years ago. Every year on his birthday, on my Facebook page, I get a reminder, today is your uncle's birthday. Please wish him happy birthday. It pulls at my heartstrings. No one has gone into that account to manage it, to figure out what to do now that he is no longer able to manage it himself. So they're emotional strings. I have, I store a lot of photos online. Not everyone I in my family has access to those photos. I hope that once I'm no longer here, my family will want access to at least some of those photos. I want to make sure that those photos are accessible to other people who care about them when I can no longer manage that account myself. There are also, for anybody who plays an online game, those game pieces are incredibly valuable. And they can sell for not just thousands, not just tens of thousands, but for hundreds of thousands of dollars. So if someone owns a few incredibly 
lucrative game pieces and that person dies without having sold those or without having figured out what to do with those game pieces, then that value is going to die with the person who owns them. I should have bought Bitcoins when I first started working on this project more than a decade ago. I did not buy Bitcoins, but had I done so, I would then be quite concerned about who would inherit my Bitcoins. So there's a variety of different reasons to care about what happens to our digital assets, ranging from how we construct our own legacies, how someone else might want to construct our own legacies, to the emotional value, to the actual financial value of those assets. And if we don't take charge of our digital assets, we are pretty aware that those digital assets can be hacked into. There's some important emotional and, and family reasons. There can be significant financial reasons. And then at the end, you alluded to what sounded like security reasons. Dead people's accounts are hacked into all the time. So all kinds of hacks of people who have died where the accounts have not been closed, have not been taken care of. So you don't just have to be alive to have someone hack into your internet account. Does the property law that applies to our our homes or our chattel properties, does that apply to digital assets? Just like you can write a will in which you say, I want my beloved Steinway piano to go to my beloved sibling, you should be able to say, I want my beloved Facebook account to go to my beloved sibling. That's not what happens. And so the law was in flux. And people couldn't really plan for what to do with their digital assets because they weren't really sure what the law was until about a decade ago when efforts were made to start to figure out how states should approach this. There were a few outlier states that started drafting laws in this area a while ago, but most states had done nothing until about 10 years ago. And enter a law that is in place in, gosh, probably 90% of states that helps people sort out just what will happen to your digital assets. And that's the RUFADA? And that is RUFADA, Revised Uniform Fiduciary Access to Digital Assets Act. Um, I should say the original, the reason it had to be revised, the original UFADA pretty much treated your digital assets just like your regular assets and said, we're going to trust in the state's law has been handling these assets assets for centuries. So we don't need to encrust a whole lot more law on the handling of those assets. Revised UFADA, however, sets up a scheme for managing your assets. And I should also note, you said, when you die, what if you're in the hospital? What if you have a car accident? And you're in the hospital for two weeks and you have bills that are due. You're going to be able to pay them as soon as you get out. But if you're in the hospital and you don't have access to your accounts, how are those bills going to get paid? Let's talk about Instagram for a bit. If I were to die, would my beneficiaries have a right to access my Instagram account? Would they have any rights to go directly to, to Instagram and compel them to provide a new password? The answer is not as simple as you would hope. The answer is going to be buried in Instagram's terms of service agreement. So when you created your Instagram account, 
You also look through this very long terms of service agreement, or maybe like many people, you did not read every single word in that terms of service agreement, but very deep within that terms of service agreement will be just what rights others have to access your account when you no longer can. Also buried within that will generally be, and I haven't looked at Instagrams recently, but often those terms of service agreements will specify with whom you can share your passwords. Sometimes those terms of service agreements say it is a violation of this agreement to share your password with anyone else. Therefore, if you share your password with anyone else, you've violated that agreement and you may also have violated some of the relevant federal laws that are in the background. It sounds like you're saying, get to reading, go go click on the terms and service. At least if you're concerned about these issues, get to reading your terms of service agreements. Just the particular parts that deal with what happens when you can no longer manage the accounts. But the other thing I'm saying is plan. Where there's an online tool to say what happens to that account, fill that out. So terms of service agreements might give you outright ownership of a particular game piece, for example. There's still going to be an issue of who gets access to that game piece. And the first way of getting into this issue is to look at what all of the different internet accounts say that you might have. You're going to be, it's difficult to generalize. So it's a, right, it's a huge morass in terms of knowing just what rights you have. Now there are, you know, there, there are some guidelines. There are companies that can help. There's lots of online information about just how to manage these accounts. But the first answer is going to be your your rights are determined by the terms of service agreements. As I said, you can go to court and challenge the terms of service agreements, but in the absence of that, the answers will be there. So frequent flyer miles might disappear at your death. They might be capable of inheritance. That's all going to be set up in the particular frequent flyer account that you have. You might not be able to have access to your departed parents' frequent fire miles. It just depends on how the account is set up. Right. Generally, things like frequent fire miles and cryptocurrency can be inherited. But it's still important to check. Um, iTunes, for example, may not be able to be inherited. So it's, it's, it's important to distinguish and to know what actually can and what cannot be inherited. When it comes to cryptocurrency, I think here we have some really egregious examples of where dis- digital asset management has failed. Uh, there's this particular individual named Stefan Thomas, who I haven't looked at the value of, of Bitcoin, but supposedly lost his password to a crypto wallet that had over $200 million in Bitcoin in it. That's an exaggerated uh, case, but isn't that part of what you're talking about? If you If you lose access there's significant value that's lost for the beneficiaries, for the estate, or for yourself if you're the one who lost it. That's absolutely part of what I'm talking about. Cryptocurrency, if you lose that particular password key, you have a limited number of attempts to try to regain access to your crypto vault. Certainly, if you're not alive to let anybody know what your password is, 
your the people who inherit it from you, your heirs have a limited number of attempts to try to crack that vault and get access to all of that information. And I should say that cryptocurrencies, people who are alive sometimes forget their passwords and can't get into their vaults. It's much worse when someone dies and nobody knows how to identify the digital key to get into that. And cryptocurrency, yes, can be worth millions and millions of dollars. So an example of an asset that has financial value that it's very important to plan for and an example of a digital asset that actually can be inherited with the appropriate planning. So there, I suppose the hurdle is encryption. Maybe we can turn to another hurdle to to accessing digital assets, which uh, we've talked a bit about earlier, which is the terms and service agreement uh, between you and the platforms. What issues do those raise? First question is encryption, right? How do you get access to the account? That second question of the terms of service agreements will set out just what rights you have, you or your heirs have, to access whatever it is that is in that account, including the contents, as well as terms of service agreements will also set out, can you share your password? Can you give someone else access to the contents of that account through sharing your password? Or do the terms of service agreements prevent you from sharing even your password? It's incredibly important where there is an online tool to try to fill it out. So. Google Inactive Account Manager, I've set that up so that when I can't manage the account myself, I know, well, I know now, I won't know then, but I know now who will be managing it. And I get periodic reminders to ensure that I still want the same people to be in charge of that and that I still want the same disposition to happen. Same thing, Facebook has a legacy contact and an active account manager that will allow for someone else to have access to your account, not to post, but to help memorialize your Facebook posting. So those are two of the most prominent examples of online tools that can help you now decide what you want to have happen, including, of course, as you said, including delete the accounts entirely. You don't want anybody ever to see any of your Gmails. You don't want anyone ever to have access to your Facebook account. What you want is for your executor to send in a death certificate and to have Facebook delete the account entirely. So there, there are ways of controlling if you plan in advance and if the particular online service provider has one of these online tools. Unfortunately, not all of them do, which means you're back into trying to figure it all out on your own. And I can imagine individuals making different choices based on the various platforms. So while I might want my beneficiaries to have access to my email so that they, they could help sort through my estate, I, you know, if I were single, I may not want them to have access to my dating app or, or something that might be seen as a little more intimate. When we were involved in drafting the legislation that's now in place in about 90% of states, there were a lot of people who were very concerned about their privacy. And 
So yeah, you might not want someone to have access. People were concerned about spouses having access to their dead spouse's email accounts and finding out something that might have been a complete surprise. And of course, stranger things have happened. So there are concerns about privacy that people might have that would make them not want to let anybody else have access to their accounts or you people might not want anyone to have access to their searching history, right? Because they might not want anybody to see just what they've searched. They might not want anyone to know just what organizations they are a member of online. So there are certainly privacy concerns. And so people are understandably very concerned about those privacy issues. Well, you mentioned the law that you helped to draft. And I think, Professor, that was a wonderful transition. Why don't we talk about Rifada uh, with some detail? I guess, first off, what is Rufada? Rufada is the Revised Uniform Fiduciary Access to Digital Assets Act. And the idea of Rufada and the original Ufada was to try to create uniformity so that if you didn't matter where you died, you would know, it didn't matter which state, it didn't matter the state in which you died, you would know what would happen to your digital assets. And so the draft legislation is designed to deal with what will happen to your digital assets when you're no longer able to manage them. And it's not just, we focus a lot on what happens to our digital assets when we die, but it's not just the person who will be winding up our estate. It's what happens if we are incapacitated. What happens if someone is appointed to watch over us? What happens if a guardian is appointed? Can a guardian have access? What if we put all of our digital assets into a trust? Will the trustee have access? And what if we draft a power of attorney, a document that would allow someone else to manage our digital assets for us? So the the legislation deals with these four different situations. It deals with what happens when you die, what happens when you are incapacitated, what happens if you have a trust, and what happens if you decide to give someone else authority to access your digital assets. A quick break for those listening for MCLE credit. The code for this interview is 210317. That's 210317. And now back to the interview. Well, I think that you've laid out much of the rest of the the interview in a perfect outline for us. So why don't we tackle those? The first issue or the first subset that Rufada deals with is what happens when you die. You know, without explaining word for word, maybe you could give a couple of the important takeaways or, or important principles that Rufada establishes. The rules are generally the same in all of these four different situations, although there are different provisions of the act that deals with each of them. But basically, the first order of priority is Have you done that online tool? Have you done the Google Inactive Account Manager? 
have you done the Facebook legacy contact? So did the individual make a choice for themselves? Yes. So the first thing is, well, it's an individual making the choice themselves, but in conjunction with the online service provider. So that, and that's binding. If someone has filled out one of those online tools, then that is binding on the estate. And if that online tool says, nobody ever gets to see my email account, that means no one will ever know just which bank account statements I've ever received. That's the, Those instructions are binding on the online service provider. So that's the first step. Has someone filled out one of these online tools? Second step, if the individual has not filled out one of these online tools, the next thing to do is to look at what kinds of estate planning the individual has engaged in. Has the person written a will saying, I want my executor to have access to any and all digital assets? Or even has the individual created a digital executor? Some people might decide that they want someone to manage all of their bricks and mortar property. And someone else who's perhaps more tech savvy or who may be attuned to the privacy interests of the individual to manage all of the digital assets. So step one is is checking with the actual service provider, uh, the tools that they provide. Step two is whether they've documented some digital asset planning in a legal agreement. What happens if they have neither of those two? If they have... Neither, then we're back to looking at what just what the terms of service agreements actually provide. If the terms of service agreements are silent, then we look at the default at what the backup rules of RUFADA, the Revised Uniform Fiduciary Access to Digital Assets Act, actually provide. So kind of the gold standard is have you filled out one of those online tools and have you provided binding instructions in a will or in another document as to what will happen to those assets? If not, we then look at the terms of service agreements as to what will happen. And if they say nothing, then we look at Rufada. But what does Rufada say? Rufada says in general that the executor, the person managing your estate, will have access to most of your digital property, that is to most of the things that you own. The real sticking point is what happens to those electronic communications. What happens to the contents of those emails? And that's where Rufada comes in and says that the contents of your electronic communications are protected. The executor might be able to get access to a catalog, that is to a, in seal mail terms, the executor might be able to see to whom an envelope is addressed and from whom the, who sent the contents of the envelope, but the executor does not have access to the contents of the envelope unless the user has provided otherwise. Oh, interesting. So in a world where I haven't stipulated anything, I haven't written a document, and I have a, an email service provider that has nothing in their terms and service as to what happens if I were to die, in that case, the executor can look at my inbox but can't open the actual emails? 
In that case, the your executor can never look at the contents of your emails without your consent. Then what's the point? Why bother giving them access at all? Well, and, and I should also say that generally, because you are not able to share your password, your executor is going to have to go to the online service provider to try to get access to the outside, to the address on that envelope, if you will. And the point is, what happens if... Well, your executor presumably does not need detailed information about things you'd prefer to keep private, such as one's dating life, but the executor can tell if you get an email every month from U.S. Bank, well, you're likely to have an account at U.S. Bank. If you get an email every month from a brokerage account, if you think about it, if you just, if you just know from whom you've received an envelope, right? If the return address is on the envelope, that tells you a lot about, not necessarily about what might be in the envelope, but it tells you that there's something there. So if you get online bills, the sender is going to, it's going to be pretty clear who the sender is. And so that then alerts the executor to pay an online bill. So it'll help the estate to identify assets and obligations. Right. So the executor can access a bank account directly because the executor has access to that. But if the executor has no idea what bank accounts you actually have, the way of finding out which bank accounts you have can be through email, through just seeing the from line. That, that'll give the executor some information and the executor can then go to the bank or can then perhaps try to figure out your online account. But if the executor has no idea which online accounts you have, just looking at the email, looking at who sent an email, can give the executor information about where those accounts might actually be. But is there some discretion? I mean, for example, if the email is from your crypto exchange and the title says, you know, the key to your crypto wallet, and you want to be able to to open it. I mean, I, I realize this isn't <laughs> that's not the security level that you would want for a crypto wallet. But hypothetically, wouldn't you be able to then open it up so that you could access those those significant or you know, real funds? You'd have to get a court order if it's contained in an email account like that. The contents of electronic communications, at least as we're talking about generic email accounts, the contents of electronic communications are going to be protected. And so, yes, even if the email is from cryptocurrency, if it is contained in the body of the email, that is going to be protected. Now, I should say not all online assets are subject to this particular level of protection. But in general, federal law, Stored Communications Act provides protections to the communications that are in emails. What about cloud storage, for example, photographs? Would that be the same where you'd get a, a list of the date and location of the photographs, but if you wanted to open them, you'd need a court order? Well, that's different. Those are not, I mean, although photographs, a picture is worth a thousand words, they're not deemed to be communications like in an email. And so you are much more likely to be able to get access to someone's or an executor is much more likely to be able to get access to photos that are stored in the cloud rather than access to communications. So Rufata doesn't apply to the, it's not really about the heirs, the beneficiaries of an estate. It's about 
the trustees or the people who are in a fiduciary position during this transition while digital assets are making their way perhaps to where they belong, whether that's lost in the ether or passed down in some way? Exactly. Rufati is just about the process that grants these special people access to an account. It doesn't say what happens, right? What, what happens when I inherit someone's bitcoins? I can do whatever I want to with those. It tells me how the executor can access those bitcoins. It's about, it's titled uniform, revised uniform fiduciary access to digital assets. And the access part is the key part. It's how to collect all of those digital assets. And that's the focus of the act. So in, in outside of digital assets, the executor will go through a house and just see what's there and get access to bank accounts. So it's what this is doing is it's setting out guidelines for how executors can get access to digital assets. Executors still have to get access to all of the other bricks and mortar or physical assets. Well, Professor, before we let you go, maybe you can give us some general advice on what we should do, I guess, in terms of healthy digital asset planning. Are there a few steps that we can take to make it easier on those who are are put in this position of dealing with digital assets when we're incapacitated or or after we're dead? Absolutely. The first step is, not to put you on the spot, but do you know all of the digital assets that you have? Do you have all of the passwords organized in one place? Oh, goodness. I'm not sure that I... I certainly don't. I don't. So the first step is to inventory all of your digital assets so that you yourself know just what digital assets you have to organize them to know what your passwords are. So first step, everybody says always inventory. Figure out what your digital assets are. Second step is to decide what you want to have done with them. So this is where those online tools come in. If you haven't yet filled out one of those online tools and you're interested, They're actually not as easy to find as you think, but if you go on to Facebook or into Google, you'll be able to find those online tools. And so just see what your choices are with the online tools. Within this, the second bucket, what you want to do once you know all of your digital assets is decide what you want to have happen to each of them. Presumably, you want your cryptocurrency to be inherited by your heirs. You may not want other people to have access to all of those emails and stored communications. So decide what you want to have happen. Third is assuming you do want to do something other than destroy all of those digital assets. Decide who you want to have manage all of those digital assets. And then fourth step is make it happen. Pull something, look at something on the web, write a will. Write some other type of document that clarifies just who you want to have access to what. Now, people often ask me, well, shouldn't I just put in my will that these are my accounts, this is my password, this is what I have in each of these accounts? And the answer is no. Wills are public documents. So anybody can see your accounts and your passwords and 
what you have, how much cryptocurrency you have, if you put all of that into a will. The second reason not to put it into a will is even if nobody ever goes to look at your will to find out just what is, you know, or even if the public has no interest in looking at it, the, the second reason is that changing a will requires certain sets of formalities depending on the state. And so every time you add a new account, you would need to modify the will. You would have to change your will to include that. So two reasons not to put this all into a will, but to do something like to appoint a digital executor to marshal all of your digital assets and to decide what happens to them. So inventory your own digital assets, decide what you want to have happen to each of them, decide who you trust to manage, to make sure that all of that will happen, and then develop a plan develop written documents that will carry out your wishes. And I suppose be extra careful with what you're doing with such a document because it would be, you know, potentially a hacker a hacker's dream to have a list of all your accounts and passwords. Keep it all safe. Yes, there are there are wonderful password managers that can be very helpful and in that case there's only one magical password that your digital executor would need to get access to all of that material. Again, as I said, a terms of service agreement might preclude your digital executor from having your password, and that's a whole different set of issues that brings in federal law, as well as violations of the terms of service agreements. Professor, thank you for taking the time to walk us through this. It sounds like I have a bit of homework ahead of me, but you know, perhaps if we have some additional questions, we'll reach back out for some follow-up. Thanks very much. For more legal explainers and interviews with the Titans of Law, visit TalksOnLaw.com. If you're earning MCLE for this interview, you can enter your confirmation code at TalksOnLaw.com slash podcast to get your certificate. Join us again soon for more cutting-edge interviews on the Talks on Law MCLE podcast.